All right. Let's get to our Bibles. And uh, I am going to read from uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to put, put that thing on the display also. PowerPoint uh, on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to start from verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says here, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's a very encouraging <laughs> scripture to begin with. And you were dead in your trans- trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not uh, your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'd like to read those last three verses, powerful. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right. Church is about discipleship. That is what church is. The very essence of church is discipleship. And I'm going to disciple you right now from this pulpit. This is where it begins. I want to repeat after me. All right. I am saved. Come on, be be more convincing. I am saved. Not because of works, but for good works. Uh, Let's do it again. I am saved. Not because of works, but for good works. It's not so much what we are saved from, but what are we saved for? That's very important. All right? The Western culture and of individualism has produced self-centered, self-oriented, narcissistic individuals like we've never seen before. No, I mean it. I'm serious. And the church, well, to be more precise, Western Christianity has bought into this mindset to the point that we've twisted the gospel, the word of God, and we where we quote or rather misquote the scripture to suit our fleshly and selfish ambition is all about me. The significance, I want to say this, this is the truth, right? The significance of a person is determined 
and marked not by he or she personally achieves, but by the cause he or she serves. Just think about that. It's not about what you can do. It's what greater cause is that that you serve beyond yourself? Not for work, because of works, but for good works. So such a person, that significant person, whose very essence, or a disciple really, whose very essence and existence influences and impacts people around him or her, to the point that those people impacted by this person becomes greater people than he, that person is, than he is. And that is the heart of Jesus. This is the guy who performed miracles, signs and wonders, and all those things. And he said to these disciples, greater things will you do than this. Now, some people have presented, oh, Jesus is not talking about the quality. He's talking about the, 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 uh, the quantity more because, no, 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 no. I believe Jesus means both quality and quantities because as powerful as Jesus was, it didn't happen with Jesus. It happened with Peter. The Bible says in the book of Acts, as he was walking, his shadows, the shadow of Peter, healed people. It didn't happen in Jesus' ministry. Paul was praying for people. He didn't lay a hand on them. He, just, he said, this is my handkerchief. Take it to the guy. They got healed. It didn't happen in Jesus' ministry. Why? Because it is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in them. All right? More than ever before, I hear the call of God, just like the call in the book of Haggai. Consider your ways. Live a significant life. Let me emphasize this. As a matter of fact, that is the title of my sermon. Let us live a significant life. People in the, in the world want to live a prominent life. No, 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 that's not what God wants. Let's make a distinction between prominence and significance. God wants us to live significantly. He wants us to be significant. Not necessarily prominent. You'll see that by the end of this sermon, you get the point. So, to stay in touch with, the, with what we've gone through, we, we're going through a series which is the house of God. Let's just recap some of the, the interesting points or important points. So the house of God, it is God's passion, and therefore we, it is our business to make it our preoccupation. <laughs> and because of that, as we build the house, we build what is unshakable. That's what God promises in the book of Haggai. And he also promised that the latter glory of his house will be greater than the old house as Massive as that, as that temple was. Why? And how is he going to do that? Well, because this new house is made of living stones, people being filled with his spirit, as expressed by Peter in First Peter chapter 2. I quoted last week. I'm going to read it again. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, another what he's saying, what he's saying is collectively bearing the likeness of him, the living stone Jesus, are being built up as spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, a royal of to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the old temple, like I said before, the old temple was destroyed where, where one stone, uh, not one stone rests on another. That temple has now been re- replaced by the coming together of the living stones to him, the living stone, the living stone. And these stones need to be shaped in order to, to look like, to bear witness, to bear the likeness of Jesus himself, right? Now, Peter talked about the coming together of these people. And concerning the, the coming together of these people, or the assembling together of people to make up the house of God, Paul expressed it in a different way. That's why we come to our passage. In Ephesians chapter 2. Scholars have, have written st- statements like this. If you want to know what Paul, Paul who, really, who really is, what kind of man he is, you read 2 Corinthians. You, you learn what Paul is like as a man. If you want to know what Paul thinks about Jesus or Paul's understanding of who really Jesus is, you read the book of Colossians. That's pretty much his his understanding of Jesus. Now, the book of Ephesians, however, if you really want to know what Paul really thinks about the church, Ephesians is the book. Absolutely. And in, the, in this, in this uh, letter to the uh, church in Ephesus, the Ephesians, he made this, Paul makes this massive statement of the church. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, he said, Through the church, his people, you and I, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Whoa. Did you guys hear that? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be manifested or made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places and he said, this was according to the eternal purpose that he, God, has realized or accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How is God going to do that? Like, really? I mean, well, let's look at our passage. Let's, let's begin with the context of the passage. So, the passage begins, the context of the discussion actually begins with uh, Philippians, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul pretty much said, okay, God in creating this new race called the living stones, he begins with Jesus, okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, this is Jesus. What did God do with Jesus? First, he raised him from the dead. And secondly, in verse 21, Not only that he raised him from the dead, he seated him in the heavenly places 
far above all principalities and rulers and dominions and authorities and all those things, not just this age, but the age to come. Number two. And number three, after doing that, he then placed everything that exists under the feet of Jesus in verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22. And then the next step is, now that Jesus is the head of all things, all things under his feet, in verse 23, Paul said, then he gave Jesus to the church. That's Jesus. And then, what about the church? That's when Paul began. You were dead once. (laughs) You started as dead in sins and transgression. In which you once walked following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. In other words, there's angelic spiritual forces controlling people in the world. You were were once one of them. A spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And verse 3, he said, we all did it. We all once walked like that. I did it. That's what Paul said. Lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. (laughs) So it doesn't sound very good. Just like the rest of mankind. But here's the good news in verse 4. But God, everybody say, but God. Verse 4. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Not only that, just like he raised Jesus up, raised us up with him. Let me just take this. Raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places. No, it says Jesus far above all principalities and powers and dominions and rulers. This age in the age to come. And he said, in Christ, that's what we are. In the same position as Jesus. Whoa. No, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be with Jesus in heavenly places. So. <laughs> Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, by grace we have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, far above all principalities, rulers, powers, dominion. That's you and I. Authorities, this age and the age to come. The reason for him doing all this, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards Jesus Christ, towards us in Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, because what God did with Jesus and you and I, it's on record for generations to come. 
how good God is. So the point Paul's trying to drive is you were dead in your sin, being seated with Christ. It's not of your undoing, you know, you're saved by grace. So while Peter speaks about the new temple made of living stones, which is people being formed into the likeness of Jesus, Paul gives the detailed description of the process of what that formation, how that took place. So what Paul is saying is, for God to make this new temple, new house, he needs to create a new race. You and I. New race. People who were, like you and I, dead in our sins, but now have been made alive with Christ. And then, this is what I like. Using the language of creation, he sums it all up by saying, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That work, workmanship is the same word as craftsmanship or handiwork, or a masterpiece, a work of art of God. So just like in the, in the original creation, you know how God, when he created all the stars in, in, in the heaven, in the sky. He, the Bible says he spoke to the heavens. Let there be firmament. firmament and, you know, and he wanted to create creatures in the sea. He said, let the water. He, he spoke to the environment of, of those creatures. And when he wanted to fill the, the, the grass, the, 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 the earth, he said, let the earth be filled. But guess what? When he wanted to create mankind, remember? He spoke to the environment to be filled. When he wanted to create mankind, what did he do? He spoke to himself. Let us make man. What can we learn from that? In other words, our very environment is God himself. Not the water, not the heavens. God himself. So what I'm saying is, people living without God is like living out of your very natural environment. It's like fish out of water. And he says, we are his craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Just like in the original creation, God said, let us make men in our image so that they will rule the earth, fill the earth, subdue the earth. So there is a job why something is created. This is the problem when people actually deny the, the, the idea of creator. They deny the, 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 the purpose of people's existence. Everything that is created is for a purpose. You know, you got your mobile phone and you got... When it was created, it was already determined what it was for. You remove the creator, you remove the purpose. As a matter of fact, the quality of a product has already been determined before even it was created. The very conception of that product was already, the quality has been determined. You and I have been determined our significance. We just need to walk in it. My opinion, like my, my iPhone, 
I don't care what my opinion or lack of knowledge of using the iPhone, it's not going to reduce the quality of the iPhone. You know that, right? So people's opinion about who you are, what, what I am, it's not going to change my quality. It's been determined by God. I just need to walk in it. Created four good works prepared beforehand. And our job is the walking of it. His job is the guiding of it, guiding us. Because it's easier to guide a moving horse than a stationary horse. You know, when the horse is walking, then you can guide to the left, to the right. If the horse is standing, it's not going anywhere. So sometimes God just wants us to walk, do the walk, and then he will do the guiding. We call it walking by faith. (laughs) This is the kind of people that God wants to create. And the Bible full of, the story of the Bible full of this kind of people. I want to read some of the writing of one of a very, very uh, respected uh, scholar. The writer talked about two phenomena, phenomena in, in Christianity according to history. And first he said, Christianity arose as a movement within the Jewish community in Israel. Its founder was a Jew, so were his disciples, who in the years following his departure from them, proclaimed only to the Jews the good news which was entrusted to them. Yet in, in a, listen to this, yet in a little more than a generation, a little more than a generation after his death, Christianity was recognized by the authorities of the Roman Empire as a predominantly Gentile cult. They didn't have emails, they didn't have, you know, telegram, telephone, anything like that. In a little more than a generation, from a little cult in a Palestine to become a, a major, predominantly Gentile cult, And to this day, there are parts of the world where the antithesis Jew Christians is simply another way of studying the antithesis Jew Gentile, as if to say it's a Gentile religion. And yet, it started as a cult or a sect in the Jewish community. That's the first phenomenon. Second, second phenomenon is that Christianity arose in, the, in southwestern Asia among people whose vernacular was Aramaic. This is, that's a long, local language, not Hebrew, but language of uh, people at the time of Jesus. Yet its foundation documents have come down to us in Greek, the language in which they were originally written. And over many centuries now, it has been regarded for better, for worse, as a predominantly European religion. Both these phenomena are due principally to the energy with which Paul, a Jew by birth and upbringing, spread the gospel of Christ in the Gentile world from Syria to Italy and probably even Spain. 
powerful. Now, you hear the story of Paul, right? But here's my, 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 my point I'm trying to make because I'm talking about significant, not prominence, right? Paul didn't just get there. On the way to Damascus, he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus that knocked him off his horse, literally. All right? He was alone, didn't know what he was doing. God came. Jesus came to a guy by the name of Ananias, not Ananias in chapter 5. This is Ananias, different Ananias from Damascus. While he was praying, Jesus said, I want you to pray for Paul. And the guy said, Jesus, you got to be kidding me. That guy is a murderer. I mean, he's here to actually to, to arrest us and to you know, do whatever he wants with us. And God said, listen, I've got a plan. Remember? God saved Four good works. <laughs> and God said, just pray for him. Now, he prayed for Paul, and Paul got saved. And, you know, we know Paul as a prominent man, written 13 books of the New Testament, and we read what the impact he had on, on history. But let me ask you this. See, what happened after that, that story, Ananias and Paul, that's the only time you hear about Ananias in the whole book of Acts. I don't hear it anymore. But if, if it wasn't for Ananias, where would Paul be? See? His name was mentioned once, but guess what? I believe in heaven, Paul probably would, every now and then would come to Ananias. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. And then Paul got saved, and then he, he was sort of spending time in Tarsus, and, and all of a sudden, something happened. Uh, there is a move of God in the place called Antioch. And then the, the, the leaders from Jerusalem noticed that, and then they sent a guy by the name of Barnabas, and said, Barnabas, I want, we want you to go to, Jerusalem, uh, to, to uh, Antioch and see what's going on. He went there, he saw, wow, yeah, there is a move of God. But for me to work by myself, now I need somebody that I can, I can uh, uh, have to assist me. So he went to Tarsus and asked Paul. Paul was just, wasn't even a minister, was just, just got saved. So Barnabas said, come on, Paul, follow me. As a matter of fact, this guy Barnabas, when Paul, after he got saved, went to Jerusalem, he wanted to associate with all the, the guys in Jerusalem. Everybody backed off because they knew he, look, this guy is a murderer. What, what am I doing here? It was Barnabas actually who actually laid on his credibility. He said, no, this, this guy is okay. He affirmed Paul's position. So he took Paul to Antioch and from then on, you, you, you read the, the story in the book of Acts, it was always Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. Halfway through Acts chapter 13, the, 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 the whole thing changed. It's, not like, it's, not, it's no more Barnabas and Paul, but Paul and Barnabas because Paul becomes more prominent. Remember? The people that you disciple might be greater than you. But it doesn't make you less significant. It became Paul and Barnabas. So they went to the mission trip, first mission trip, they collected a guy by the name Mark. 
John Mark, come with us, young guy. They went, maybe the, the, the trip was just a little bit rough. So Mark from Jerusalem decided, oh, no, no, I'm just going to go to Jerusalem. Anyway, it was fine. And then they wanted to launch into a second mission trip. Paul and Barnabas decided, okay, let's go. But, and Barnabas uh, make a sort of a suggestion, let's bring Mark again. Paul said, no, he let us down. Like, it was terrible. When we needed him, he was, wasn't there. He went back to Jerusalem. So there was a big argument between Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says. So, so that's what the separation between, between Paul, in a good way, separation between Paul and Barnabas. They disagreed pretty much. Yeah, let's agree to disagree. So from then on, Paul traveled with Silas and Barnabas traveled with Mark. But we don't hear anymore of Mark in the whole of book after that in the book of Acts. We don't hear about Mark. And yet, at the end of Paul's life, when he wrote a letter to the Colossians, Paul considered Mark as his companion. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, when Paul wrote a letter to Timothy from a prison, he said, listen, this guy, Mark, has been very useful to me in my imprisonment. Something changed. Why? Because Barnabas, as he spent time with Paul, who were rejected by the Jews, now he spent time with Mark to mentor him. Young Christians would hear about Paul because he wrote, you know, he's famous. But not many young Christians would know who Barnabas is. But here's the thing. The guy mentored Paul who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He also mentored Mark who wrote the first gospel ever written whose material was used by both Matthew and Luke. When they wrote the, 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 the gospel, they used some of Mark's material. The point I'm trying to make here, Ananias, who prayed for Paul, significant man. It's not about what you personally achieve. In the context of the gospel, he is very significant. If it wasn't for him, where would Paul be? And Barnabas, even within disagreement with Paul, if it wasn't from Barnabas, where would Paul be? We would probably wouldn't have the Gospel of Mark, which influenced the writing of Matthew and Luke. We, as the Church of Jesus Christ, especially in the Western world, that's what church is. Not Listen, I have no problem with institution because sometimes, you know, like I need to go from A to B. I need a car that, that will take me there. I don't need to, I don't want a car that I have to push along the way to get to pray for somebody, for example. But like somebody, one, one, one theologian said, all those things, the institution and the show and the professionalism is just peripheral. 
They're just peripherals. And here's the thing. He said, I love, I love this. <laughs> he said, but when the peripherals take the center stage, we are not far off from idolatry. And I think we're pretty much there. <laughs> we becomes, we've made church what church is not meant to be. And here's the thing. God said, for this house, I will shake nation. I will shake heaven and earth. Which he did. You know, in the uh, gospel of Matthew, when Jesus was on the cross, he, after his, he breathed, breathed out his last breath, the Bible says that God shook, shook the earth and people were raised from the dead. Coming out of their grave, walking, you know. It's in the gospel. As for shaking the nation, you know what? Yes, God will shake the nations, but he used people to shake nations. If you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, I think verse 6, I believe. Six, I believe. Acts 17, the disciples were referred to as, these people are the people who turn the world upside down. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, God will shake the nations, but he used people to shake the nations, to impact. You might not shake the world, change the world, but you might change your world people around you, your family, your brother or one another, people at work. It can happen. It can happen. Just doing what you, what you want to, what you do out of the love of God. Diana, before we were pastors, in 1980, 81, I think, we were just, you know, we, we were singing, on TV and different churches. That was 1981. And Diana, we attended a, a pastor's conference. This is like, so 1986, Diana attended a pastor's conference. So all we, we, we knew was just singing, like, you know, hey, you know, we happen to be on TV, new faces, whatever, you know. That's fine, we just love the Lord. And a pastor came to us in this pastor's conference. He said, I know you. I know you don't know me. He said, but I know you. He said, you don't realize the song that you made in your, in your cassettes at that time. Is that right, cassette? <laughs> I was about to commit suicide. I was in the police force. This is a pastor now. But I listened to your song. As I listened to your song, I felt the presence of God. And that really, pretty much, he said, I stopped all that. I went to the local church immediately after that and then got saved. Did I, did I and I know that well, that was going to happen? No. We just love the Lord and do what we know God wants us to do and just sing before the Lord. You just never know. Never know. On Facebook, uh, some of my high school friends put up this, this notice. My, uh, because I went to a, a Christian high school. It was a Dutch Reformed Christian high school. And the, the notice was, uh, 
Mr. Nathaniel, uh, his wife just died and blah, 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 and, uh, and uh, yeah, just sad story. And I remember, I remember the name. And I thought, wow, that uh, teacher of religion had an impact in my life because until today I remember his teaching. That was 1970. <laughs> Many of you weren't born then. Now, I remember, the moment I, I, I listened to the name, I remember even some of his points I, I preached in, 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 I think his points, like the, the journey of Moses in three, three, three phase, phases. Like uh, the man who, who wants, wants to be somebody to become the man who becomes nobody and God makes him a man to be everybody. You know? I remember those three points. That's from 1970. I was in year eight. <laughs> and I thought, isn't it amazing how the word of God, whatever we, we do in the name of Jesus, driven by the love of God, you just never know the impact that it has. You just never know people walk through that door. I don't know everybody here really well, but I just, I always, this is always in my head, die and I. I just never know what you will become because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can do your own, all those things. Great. Like Paul, even at the end of his life, he was still a tent maker. And yet, he changed the world. 